we all have read um philip kotler we all understand the four p's of marketing um product place pricing and promotion that hasn't really changed but what has changed is that marketing was more about advertising it was more about the big idea it was more about the agencies kind of driving your marketing with billboards and campaigns and tv ads now what's happened is marketing has two aspects to it there's an there's an art to marketing but there's also a science to marketing driven by doing is how the world moves forward a show where entrepreneurs professionals and students share their stories how they learn from their failures to get to where they are today to inspire all of us to be a better version of ourselves this show is sponsored by upsquad it's your community for growth sign up for free today at upsquad.com to schedule time with experts in your field and get advice or request a demo at hello@upsquad.com at to set up your own organization's virtual community build your squad with upsquad now let's get to the show hello and welcome to another episode of driven by doing today we have shobhana vishwanathan from san francisco united states shobhana welcome to the show Thank you Venki it's a pleasure to be talking to you Absolutely it's my pleasure just hearing your story and you are the global head of product marketing and innovation at Automation Anywhere so let's begin your journey back in India so that's where you're from Bangalore India so let's begin from there so you did your electrical engineering while you were in India and then your MBA so walk us through how it is back then to kind of like you know be an electrical engineer and then your whole transition moving to united states sure so venki as you mentioned um you know i started out being an electrical engineer and back then um maybe things have changed um if you were uh, born into a family like mine there were two paths you either become a doctor or an engineer and um, you know obviously i was scared of blood i couldn't dissect a, a frog so i decided okay let me do uh, engineering and i i i was a good student and i loved electrical engineering um and at the end of it i actually took a coding job with um, tata consulting engineers so i actually worked as a software engineer for a year um and at that time is when i realized that i'm a people person and i really want to work in business um solving business problems with technology So uh, that's when I went and got my MBA from the Indian Institute of Management in Bangalore um and I think I found my my um my space at least maybe not my passion right away but I did realize that was a better fit for me um and after that I uh, started my career actually in IBM in India and then moved to the bay area and um when I um started in IBM we were just at the beginning of the whole revolution in india with it um and so it was a good time to be in um it and a good time to be in um marketing although marketing hadn't evolved to a point where it has now it has so many different branches right then it was more about you know just creating a buzz for the product it it wasn't as evolved as now 
Um, and then I came here and I've, um, I've worked in industry leading companies like Sun and VMware, um, as well as in startups. And my home now is in the Bay Area, like you mentioned. Absolutely. And one of my first question is like, how did you find your first opportunity right off, out of your college? So I think right out of college, um, the first opportunity um, would be basically based on career fairs at, at school or through, um, through people that you knew. Um, so for me, I think I was recruited but other people found their jobs through uh, people that they knew that those were the common ways people found a job in those days because um, it wasn't, um, we, the internet has, hadn't happened yet, it was just the beginning. Mm -hmm. So um, I would say those were the primary um, uh, methods. Uh, whether it was the right job, whether you, know, you found your right niche, I think is, is it was more of a, exploration rather than you know the final destination like like most jobs are even today gotcha. now that you move to the uh, the SF, uh, after those couple of uh, stints like you know, right out of college like what was your experience right after coming to the san francisco and now you are working at sun like how did that whole experience influenced you at that very early stage in your career i think coming to sun was um, a beautiful experience because um, i really liked the company. It's to, even today the best company that I worked in um, for a couple of reasons. One, the technology was stellar um, and there was, a, there was openness to the company. I think there was a lot of transparency, openness, people were empowered. So to me, those were very refreshing and like a, you know, like a, a breath of fresh air. Um, and um, also for me, given that I have a very technical background, but love business and marketing, I think it was a good match um, to, to understand technical concepts and distill them and um, educate people on the benefits rather than just give them a, a deep dive into the features and uh, just talk in speeds and feeds to actually weave a story and a narrative around it um, was I think um, interesting and exciting. And I worked um, in the Solaris group um, in software, actually working on a product called Sun Cluster, which is really a business continuity and disaster recovery product. So that was one of my first stints and I cut my teeth in product marketing at Sun. So I'm grateful to Sun. Uh, and then you eventually moved on to uh, the VMware. How was that experience uh, after working at Sun? VMware in 2007 was the wild west. So this was pre-IPO and I joined for the technology to be perfectly um, honest with you. I was just fascinated with uh, how someone could take virtualization, which had been around for many years uh, with IBM and get, get it onto an x86 platform. And not only do that, but articulate the business value beautifully to an IT audience. In fact, it was a bit, a bit paradoxical to me that someone someone who had all these servers would actually retire their servers for consolidation and uh, consolidation benefits. So it was really fascinating to me that um, this company had figured out both the technical uh, aspects of, the, of x86 virtualization, but also providing value. And our early customers then were VI admins and IT. And, um, and later we started selling to the corner office. So for me, it was understanding uh, pain points, 
um, addressing those pain points and then selling to the corner office once we kind of um, built a good following with, with our core audience, which was VI admins. And now that after having those experiences, uh, Shobhana, you kind of like have many years of product market experience. And as you rightly mentioned at the beginning of the show that the marketing is completely different way back then, now what it looks like today. What are the main shifts that you saw during those like in the last 15, 20 years that has like really taken off, especially in the product marketing space? Sure. Um, so let's take um, let's take marketing as a as a discipline, right? I mean, we all have read um, Philip Kotler. We all understand the four P's of marketing: um, product, place, pricing, and promotion. That hasn't yeah. really changed. Yeah. But what has changed is that marketing was more about advertising. It was more about the big idea. It was more about the agencies kind of driving your marketing with billboards and campaigns and TV ads. Now what's happened is marketing has two aspects to it. There's an, there's an art to marketing, but there's also a science to marketing. So if you look at the art, it's, it's the storytelling, it's the messaging and the positioning, but there's also a science aspect to it, which is very data-driven and you, you work in data science and I think for me, the, the emergence of digital marketing has been huge. I mean, with the proliferation of the internet, with, with COVID more recently, I think digital has taken off. And uh, even within marketing, you have core product marketing, which is really how do you take a product to market? You have digital marketing, which is how do you, how do you scale through digital channels? Um, and it has so many different facets. You could have social influencer marketing. You could have account-based marketing. And then you have, um, you have other types of marketing too, depending on whether you're a SaaS company or a traditional B2B company. So to me, I think um, marketing now has a seat at the table from a support function. It has become a core function and people can specialize in different parts of marketing and depending on their skill set, And I think there's a lot to learn. So it's become more of a function where you never, you can never stop. Something is happening every day. Um, and, um, you know, gone are the days where you would launch your product at VMworld or at uh, Dreamforce. Now it's all, um, you know, you could have a, a launch on LinkedIn. You could have a, a, you know, digital launch and people are on the internet. So it's, um, it's amazing how far marketing has come and I'm, I'm really excited uh, for marketing. And especially I think a couple of insights there where you mentioned about how the whole marketing has changed its uh, position from being a supportive role to the, the front, front and forefront of like any, any business. I mean, like we are seeing like a lot of great technologies that are coming out every single year, especially in the marketing has been shifting. And the recent one we have, how the clubhouse has changed in the again yes. this, uh, social audio that is actually taking place and we will only time will tell like how this is going to shift the overall uh, ecosystem down the line and there is one more trend that we are also seeing especially from uh, the data and privacy and in the last three or four years we have seen the whole global uh, trends around these data and privacy is shifting like you know, very rapidly uh, do you think like any any of these things would impact, especially the marketing side of things, because we are talking about data and we are talking about privacy 
and like we are also talking about like a lot of uh, big players like the apple changing their regulations across this yes. third cookies and like how the i mean people are already talking about how this is going to actually impact digital marketing so what's your thoughts uh, about these things so i think um the the fang companies have come under fire for you know for a variety of reasons one of them is hey their market cap is over you know that some of the national economies uh, gdp national uh, you know their, their overall um, country's economy so i mean given that the these platforms are so powerful um, can we really rely on them to be uh, custodians of the people so i think there are two or three things at play here one is privacy as you mentioned with uh, you know all the things that have happened um with facebook and and even with google having a lot of your data so i think there's two aspects one is privacy and then there's ethics too right so um i i do think um we'll have to reexamine policy around um who who owns data what that how they can use the data and be a little more um Now, I think the cat's out of the bag. In many cases, I think people have given away their data. They didn't realize they were the product, right? <laughs> and so they've given away their data. But um, I think, I think, uh, to your point, um, we can we can arrest a few of the things that are happening. For example, AI is going to be very prevalent, right? Yes, the internet has already happened, and uh, Facebook and Google, all those have happened. But if you look at AI. um i mean ai is coming of age right now and so maybe there's an opportunity to enforce ethics in the design of products right you um you eliminate biases even when you're designing your product for example uh if it's all being designed by men then it's not very friendly to a woman um or 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 um you know it could also you've got to understand what algorithms are actually creep uh, are they are they for good or for not uh, or are they for good of or are they the good for the good of the company or good of the people so i think um ai is an area where i think it's still in the early days we we can take action uh, privacy i think we can slam the brakes on what has happened so far but i think we there's been some damage done already um and i think marketing needs needs to take ownership as you mentioned uh, about some of these things that uh, that have gone wrong um and i know that marketing's job is to sell and uh, you know embellish but i think um you've got to put the customer first and it's something that i think rests um on our shoulders absolutely i think uh, you have rightly mentioned like uh, around like other uh, policies i think that's what you are seeing like every day in the news that how things have been changing you know really quickly and how these policies that like you know will help us going forward and you also yep. brought up a very good point around the ai and we are just the beginning stages and this has to do with like a lot of uh, the decades to come are going forward and like how we build these products and especially any product especially with the the internet we are building products for global global economies and you also mentioned about just having like you no know, male people creating these products or women creating it's almost like we need to bring in like diverse people from all around the world together in order to be able to like you know, really build products for the world 
so I think that has been uh, the forefront going forward. And now that like we talked about that, do you think that especially with after pandemic and the whole virtual world that we are seeing in the last one year has anything, especially from a ship standpoint, like you have worked for several years in San Francisco in Bay Area where it is the mecca for technology and innovation, especially in this new era of virtual world, do you think that it is more leveling field going forward? I think there's two schools of thought on this, Venki. One is um, exactly what you mentioned. Remote is the new perk, right? So with everyone working remotely, um, even people in the Bay Area are not going to work. Um, so, the, so that is the new normal. Even if we have a hybrid model, I think we will still be remote most of the time. Um, there, I, I think what happens then is, okay, so you can find an equally skilled engineer in any part of the world who can do the same job or a product manager or a, an HR person. So, um, so does innovation then die in Silicon Valley? That's one question. The other question is, okay, um, so Silicon Valley already has this sort of ecosystem, um, whether it's Stanford, Berkeley, and all Sand Hill Road and all the um, companies that are already here, they are continuing to innovate. They're not going to go away. So I think the answer is somewhere in between, Venki. So I would say, based on all the doomsayers um, and including people that are moving to Austin recently, yeah. including Ellison and Musk, um, you know, uh, there, there's some of that going on. There. But I think innovation is alive and well here, um, and, but there will be some, um, there will be some, um, I think, um, changes, um, much like what happened um, with, you know, Amazon and Microsoft creating an ecosystem in Seattle. Um, you will have different pockets being created in different parts of the country. Austin is an example. I would say, um, you know, Boston would be another one. Denver is another one. Um, I, I, I see that there will be several hubs for technology innovation and maybe Memphis too, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, Why not? And, uh, but, but the other thing that's happening is people are uh, moving to uh, remote locations. Mm. Um, now, the new nomads, right? Yeah. The new digital nomads. So I, I am a firm believer that collaboration uh, is instrumental for innovation. So, I mean, whether you're remote or in, in the same place, I feel like you still have to collaborate. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, I think it's high time uh, we level the playing field, but I think Silicon Valley will still have a substantial part to play. Absolutely, I agree with that. Uh, and now again, coming to the whole startup ecosystem in Silicon Valley and like we see a lot of startups growing up every year and like you advise a lot of startups and early stage startups, like what, what do you think are some of the common challenges that you see across on board? Because like a lot of first time entrepreneurs who wanted to like you know, break into tech and innovation, we definitely wanted to like you know, see them grow. At the same time, there are common challenges that you as a mentor would be seeing. Hey, like this is the common challenges that I see across the board. So are there any, any of those things that you wanted to share with us today? Sure. So I think um, definitely from my own experience, I find that many of the founders are um, technical founders. 
So they go with a great idea that they, um, they get wedded to even before validation. So I think product market fit is a big thing, right? So I, I do think that um, people are building, building products for two reasons. One is they think it's great and it's, it's a technical challenge they're solving. Or number two, there's a lot of money going into this in this space. So they just want to build a me too product that, that they can hack together quickly so that they can get funding. So, um, I mean, I think you really have to be um, thorough in your due diligence from a product market fit and from understanding your audience. I mean, who's going, who are your customers? Test out your products before you, you actually go full hog do an MVP, get a minimum viable product, test it, see what the interest level is, and then bootstrap it for a while before you ask for funding. Because mm -hmm. I, I, I honestly think people should keep as much equity as they should um, before they you know, dilute it. So just don't come up with an idea, go ask for funding, and then you're not able to deliver because you've never validated product market fit. You didn't have a single customer and um, the product was either too ahead of its time or it solves a very narrow set of problems. So I think those are my uh, big pieces of advice. But of course, you, ha you have to kind of look at broad trends uh, when you're defining a product. Um, for example, I think that there've been COVID heroes, right? Who would have thought Zoom would be a superstar? Um, you know, or even Shopify for that matter is, is now enabling so many com companies to break into uh, the digital world. Um, so I do think there are black swan events, but then I think overall trends you should be aware of um, and um, take advantage of um, uh, COVID too. I mean, I think there are companies taking advantage of this situation, even, uh, even things like um, hiring or uh, recruiting, um, I think have, have huge opportunity now. Absolutely. I think you rightly mentioned, especially with the startups, one of the key key uh, strategic things uh, working on startups is the the timing. Timing is most valuable than any other piece uh, inside startup. Like that is something that I I learned from my own experience in the past two years. Uh, like you know the timing and of course the product market fit. Like you know, without getting product market fit, it is super difficult. I mean we have seen products like you know getting a lot of funding even before they get the product market fit. Like you know really fail at those early stages and. These are some of the common lessons that we see on the board. And thanks for sharing those great insights about like, you know, those challenges for startups. And my next question is, once you find that product market fit, again, right. there, there are so many other challenges that uh, as, as startup entrepreneurs we come across. And one of the things is, how should we scale? Like you know, whether you are a B2C and B2B, there are like so many challenges, set of challenges in itself, right? Once you find the product market fit, especially with, lot of technology around what are the best ways that you would advise any startup founder or entrepreneur who is who might be technical because a lot of technical founders like you know, they kind of like focus on the technology and they kind of like find this product market fit now now what like i don't know like how to scale this or like you know, how to reach out to like you know, more customers so how can like you know, people what's your advice on uh, this topic so I think for me, the best advice is from a, a, one of my favorite books of all time, Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore. Um, Jeffrey Moore had, has, has also been a guest on my podcast. He talks about how 
um, you have different stages of crossing the chasm. You start with the early majority, then you have uh, you start with the the, the, in, the innovators, and then the early majority, the mass majority, and then the laggards. So you want to um, you want to kind of address the early adopters first, um, and and figure out who that audience is. So they're the audience who tries the Apple Watch just as soon as it's launched, right? They are the people who will go get, um, you know, a Peloton even before it's announced. So, so that's the market you want to attract to kind of try out your MVP and make sure that you got it right. And, and, the, and the strategy and the tactics for that market are very different from when you hit the, the, um, the early majority. And then between the early majority and the late majority, there's a chasm. That's, the, that's when you really need to scale. And that's when most companies go um, under. And I'd be happy to uh, provide some resources to, um, to actually explain that further. But I think you have to look at it as distinct audiences with distinct needs and wants and addressing them at those different stages of the journey. And if you can't scale between the early majority and the you know, the chasm, then you're sunk. Now, coming back again, my next question is now, now you're currently working at Automation Anywhere in the remote process automation, which is a huge trend that we have been seeing in the last few years. And how are these global companies leveraging remote process automation? And a robotic, process, yes, robotic sorry, process. Robotic process automation. And if you could actually let us uh, let sure. let our audience know what is robotic process automation and how are these big brands leveraging it? A great question, Venki. So robotic process automation is basically software that automates any business process. So think about a business process like invoice processing, employee onboarding, accounts payable, accounts receivable. If you take any of these processes. Um, you'll find that they have a lot of manual work involved. You will find they're repetitive. You will also find they're error prone. Now with software, we're able to actually solve these three problems, right? You can actually remove errors. You can do them quickly. You can, you can remove the sort of the boring nature of the job by just automating them and helping people probably upskill and do something different. Because who wants to um, take something from an invoice and Copying it, copying it to Excel and then copy it somewhere else. So um, unfortunately, a lot of the industries like um, healthcare, pharma, even finance, they've been very paper intensive. So we look at paper intensive uh, process heavy industries that can actually solve their problem with um, RPA. And the reason that it's becoming um, even more important is because of digital transformation. And as companies, uh, become digital. Uh, some of them have APIs, but a lot of them still work with legacy systems. For, this, for some of those legacy systems, they, they really need to start automating to show ROI. And um, I think we've actually helped so many companies, including companies like Bank Columbia, Dell, Sprint, um, lots of telcos. Just to give you an idea, seven out of 10 banks, six out of 10 tech companies, seven out of 10 telecom companies, uh, use our product. And um, it's just the beginning, right? I think RPA is just the beginning of automation. And um, 
even if you look at something like document processing, then you could you could use AI for intelligent extraction. You could use a voice. So these are some trends we are starting to see. Um, and certainly COVID has accelerated the pace. I think you you mentioned the, the whole uh, the digital uh, economy taking place and the digital transformation, which is like you know, very important for every industry that is out there. And remote process automation, and as you rightly mentioned, the AI are going to definitely help a lot of these big brands in order to, because like a lot of paper intensive you know, industries that have been there for years are looking for <laughs> ways in order to automate this process so that people would be more efficiently using their skills that they are, that they want to leverage in order to build their systems and things like that. And now my next question is, now that we talked about a lot about like remote uh, robotic process automation and now AI, what are the few trends that you have been noticing that are going to be super critical in the next decade? So at a high level, I think AI and cloud will become symbiotic. Um, cloud will enable AI, AI will enable cloud. A voice will become very important. Um, language will become important. Technologies like natural language processing, NLP, or um, automatic speech recognition, ASR, will become important. Because if you look at customer service, if you look at customer experience in the contact center, for example, um, today the experience is quite bad. And we all need to um, acknowledge that there's a lot of room for improvement. And so voice can play a big role. Um, you know, you have Alexa, you have Siri for consumers. I think we need to kind of make sure that that's available for B2B. So I do see voice um, becoming um, huge with AI. Um, I mentioned already that AI ethics is important. Um, so to me, I think that's a policy matter, but it needs to be addressed. Uh, we're seeing, seeing the beginning of AI, AI ops um, in, in companies like mine uh, for document processing, for extraction, for some a little bit of chatbots, um, which also is used in marketing, by the way. Um, well, I'm also seeing that IT is the, is the persona that's now pushing AI to scale. So um, for them, their lives become easier. Um, and they're, they're actually um, making sure that AI gets adopted. Now, it's not the AI of science fiction. It's very mundane AI. It's more automation at this point with a little bit of ML, but I think we're just seeing the, the tip of the iceberg. And um, if you look at Gartner estimates, the market is, is pretty large. And um, I think McKinsey did a study where they said, at least half of the companies by this year will adopt some kind of AI in the Fortune 500 uh, group. Absolutely, I think there are definitely we are going to see a lot of adoption down the line. And thanks for sharing great insights and trends that you have been noticing and that sure. are going to be like you know revolutionizing the next decade or so. And thank you so much for your time today, Shobana. And where can people find you if they wanted to reach out to you? So Venki, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, they can, people can find me on LinkedIn, um, S-H-O-B-H-A-N-A-V, Shobhanavi. I also have a podcast, which is The Change Alchemist, where I talk to change makers and help people navigate the world. So you could find me at thechangealchemist.com. Um, I'm on iTunes. Um, and please, uh, please feel free to subscribe and leave me a review. Uh, you can find me on Twitter again, hash uh, uh, at Shobhanavi, S-H-O-B-H-A-N-A-V. 
You can find me on, at Clubhouse as well with the same um, uh, handle um, and um, on Facebook, of course. So I'm uh, as social as anybody else. <laughs> It is a pleasure talking to you, Shobhana, and thanks for like not just sparing uh, some time for us today to be able to you know, really share all these great insights and your story, how you got to where you are today. And listeners, please definitely check out Shobhana's profile and kind of reach out to her. And most importantly, just go out and listen, listen to the, the Change Alchemist podcast. She brings a lot of great guests from around the world who are thought leaders in their space. And I get a lot of great value just by listening and learning from those episodes. So definitely check out The Change Alchemist and please leave a review there as well. Thanks a lot for listening today. Thank you, Enki. Thank you so much.